0: To get that deal and let's get on with the show.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Making the Argument with Nick Freitas. I am producer Hamilton, and typically when I open the show is because the team isn't in the studio. But today we are with a special guest as well. Interesting topic. There was a tweet that Nick put out just a couple weeks ago, and it was homeschool your kids. It created quite a bit of controversy. We're going to talk about that today. But Nick, why don't you go ahead and introduce everyone?
0: Well, as always, I'm your host, Nick Freitas, member of the Virginia House of Delegates. But other than that, a good person. With me, my beautiful, lovely wife, Queen of the Bees, Tina. Hello. Our resident historian and political prognosticator, Christian Hines. Hello. You already know Hamilton, the good Hamilton, the That's producer, correct. the one that doesn't like central banking. But today we also have another special guest. We decided, as we debate this whole issue about homeschooling and the potential positives, the potential negatives, we decided to bring on our, our, our very own, someone we work with, awkward homeschooler, socially awkward homeschooler, uh, Tess Tess, tell us a little bit about yourself. Introduce yourself to the audience.
2: Hi, so my name is Tess Caglione. I um, was homeschooled. I am 21. I am the social media girl for the Tuttle Twins book series. If you don't know anything about them, you should. They're a great homeschooling resource. other
0: than that, yeah, I'm just your awkward homeschool kids. So. No, I, I like how that's. I'm I'm Tess, and I was homeschooled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. You know, I, I got to tell you, it's been. I mean, we we've worked with Tess now for a while, and she does uh, an excellent job, excellent representation of the benefits of homeschool. So, all right, Hamilton, I'm going to hand it back over to you, so you can start sure. grilling us with questions.
1: Nick, I got a quick question for you about this tweet because it did create quite a bit of controversy. I would call it semi-viral. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of hate from the left that came. No, impossible. Why don't you tell us a little bit about why you put out this tweet and what your intention was behind it?
0: Well, look with with everything that's going on right now within our education system, and, and we just talked about this in the last episode. We talked about you know this this one teacher in Hawaii that was going on social media, and and with full moral conviction and outrage, um, accusing the right of essentially undermining. Uh, public schools specifically, but also suggesting that when we were talking about how, gosh, you know, it might be inappropriate to talk about gender ideology and sexuality with third graders, he came out and said, you know, this is all the right just projecting. They're the ones that want to do this. They're the ones that want to push, you know, sex on kids. And they're just trying to project it onto us. And then, uh, yeah, got arrested for raping a 13-year-old boy, right? Because that's what statutory rape is. It's rape. Uh, Videoing it, filming it. And then sharing it with another teacher in Pennsylvania. And it turns out this wasn't the first time he had done something like this. He, he also got um, caught with uh, child pro- other forms of child pornography, not just the one that he was making and abusing the student. Uh, and we also talked about some other instances of schools getting caught red-handed, pushing things like critical race theory onto our teachers, right, onto our students. Via the teachers and the training the teachers have to go through, while at the same time telling us they're not doing it. And so, when, when you look at all everything that's going on, it is perfectly understandable why parents would want to seek options outside of the government-run school system. Certainly. And and there's a there's a ton of options out there, right? There there's there's private sector options, there's co-ops, there's uh, learning pods, there's everything. The reason why I said homeschool your kids was essentially. To really start that controversy and that debate, because I also wanted to see what the left's response was going to be, um, and like you said, it, it was it was kind of the typical unhinged response we we've grown to expect from anybody. That is willing to push back against the government narrative with respect to what education should look like. Sure. And so that's what I wanted. I wanted to, one, I wanted people to ask questions mm-hmm. so that we could come back and give responses to people that were genuinely interested. We had some people that were upset by the comment because they're like, well, I have to work. How how am I right. supposed to do that? And you know what? That's that's fair. Let's let's discuss that. And let's discuss what resources are available now that certainly weren't available, you know, maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, and I also wanted people to see what the left's response would be, because if you want it, if you want a demonstration of the the ignorance mm-hmm. that is necessary for bigotry to thrive, go look at some of the comments on that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that really caught me off guard, and it makes sense, but it's not something you may be, you might think about on a regular basis. There are many of us who may be pro homeschooling, but at the same time, find it incomprehensible that they would have time or to be able to financially homeschool and work at the same time. And so, you know, when I saw those, I said to myself, well, It would be great if we could bring our audience some of the experience that the three of y'all have had because Christian and I were not homeschooled. So we brought in our resident homeschooler, Tess, to help us out with this subject. But give some of those details as to how y'all accomplished this and how others might be able to as well. But before we do that, I want to go through a couple of the responses that this tweet got. Here's the first one. And and let me remind everyone about what you said. All you said was homeschool your kids. And someone responded with, and thereby cripple them socially, indoctrinate them fully, ensure they never question your dogma, never learn to deal with anyone other, never have an opportunity to learn about anything that contradicts your limited worldview. Tess, I want to I go to you on this one and get your thoughts on this response. Was that your experience, Tess?
2: <laughs> Not at all. I find it absolutely hilarious that those are always the points that people jump to. Um... Here's my thing. With homeschooling, you are going to get whatever you put into it, right? So, like, if you want your kids to be socially awkward and you want them, you want to indoctrinate them. And let me pause on indoctrinate because everyone indoctrinates everyone. Like, any form of education can be viewed as indoctrination. So, I'd rather be the one indoctrinating my kids than having someone else do it. Um, Anyway, social awkwardness and not any experience with the other. Um, that was not my experience at all. Um, I got out there, I got to do all sorts of things, uh, homeschooling gave my family the opportunity to travel the world. Um, I got to know all different sorts of cultures and, <clears throat> uh, I met people that had very different lived experiences than mine because of homeschooling, not in spite of it.
1: Sure.
0: Well, and, and I think it's interesting too. So whenever someone levels a critique at, at homeschooling, if you look at the, the sort of things he did, it's because they have an impression in their mind, not because they know, they have an impression in their mind of what homeschooling is. Now, here's my question. If, if his real concern, and I, I think he said, you know, like pushing a particular dogma, you know, not not allowing for any sort of, you know, dissent and, and um, you're right, because a, a government run school, would never do those things.
3: Oh, they don't push dogma at oh, all. Oh, gosh,
0: we, we've we never, there's been no instance in world history of a government-run educational institution pushing a particular dogma, otherizing other people, refusing to show different perspectives on a particular issue. Right? Oh, no, that never happens in government-run educational institutions. Like, how how removed do you have, like, you, you know what was one of my common responses on that thread? Whenever okay. somebody would say something like that. I'd where like, did you learn that? Where did you learn that? Because if you if you looked at some of the, again, the just straight up ignorant responses that they were they were making to this whole concept of homeschooling, I know where they learned it. They learned it from the educational institutions that have taught them to think about this in a particular way. Or some of them would occasionally go on and be like, oh, well, well I, I know some homeschoolers. Or some te- public school teachers came on and said, well, we had homeschoolers come in after the pandemic and they were way behind the other students. And, and you're, you're you're looking at all this like, okay, so what you're now telling me is that the way that you process this information is you take your limited knowledge of a very, very, you know, small sample set and then project onto everybody that's doing homeschooling, despite the fact that we have the numbers to demonstrate that actually homeschool students tend to do very well with respect mm-hmm. to getting into institutions of higher education. They tend to do very well in the workforce because they're used to actually interacting with uh, adults um, and, and a variety of students, different age groups. Um, so we, we have that data, but you're willing to dismiss all of that because you had a particular impression with respect to either you know a nephew you had or a kid that came into your you know uh, you know middle school class after the pandemic. Which oh by the way might not have been a put, put in a position where they were voluntarily homeschooled, but had to homeschool because the government schools shut down. So can, this can is also- what's so frustrating: is every critique, every critique he launched against homeschool could just as easily, and I would say in many cases even more effectively, be launched at the public school system. Sure. Go ahead, Tess.
2: Oh, my question is just, um, you know, having, he he claims that your children will never question you um, if you homeschool them. Does he have children? Because (laughs) children are ever questioning and ever rebellious, despite whether or not they were uh, educated formally or homeschooled. Like, I know I gave my parents hell. So I don't, I don't know what he means
3: there. Well, it, it strikes me that this guy is probably one of those folks on the side of the road okay. holding those signs telling you not to have children. <laughs> and uh, yes. the people in that scenario, they depend on the public school system. Since they're not having their own children, they need to indoctrinate yours. And that's the way they recruit for their their future uh, leaders. But, you know, one point I was going to make is it's hilarious to me that his whole entire com comment. You know, it speaks of of anyone other. He is full-fledged in his entire comment otherizing homeschoolers <laughs> and viewing things through a narrow view that there is only one way to educate kids. Yeah. And uh, it's it's wild to me. I mean, what, one of the issues that that you tend to come up against is that socialization question. And one thing that I do like to bring up to people is that, you know, nowhere else in life are you ever surrounded by people exactly your same age, ever. So I get people that'll say, "Well, what about when your kids have to enter the quote real world?" I'm like, "Tell me what's real world about elementary school yeah. and high school and and all of this because these kids are surrounded by other kids just their age. This is like puppies raising puppies." You, You have to have them around adults. And I used to be absolutely shocked that, you know, I would have, I'm not naming names or I don't hope I don't offend anybody, but I had friends whose kids did not know how to behave around adults in adult situations in adult, uh, you know, events and my kids were constantly complimented on how well behaved they were and how they could carry on a conversation with an adult they could actually carry on a conversation. I mean, I remember junior high when I was in public school and it was all about screaming and running around and, and being as loud and boisterous as you could and and getting as much attention onto yourself as you could. And that's your kind of what people think is your typical teenager. Well, that's really not the typical. Uh, that's just what they're used to because of, of where they send their kids and the influences on them.
0: Well, and, and, and again, they... It's really easy whenever we make these critiques, people automatically come back and say, well, you're trashing teachers. Like, well, no, I'm I'm not trashing teachers in in general. I mean, there's bad people in the teaching profession, just like there is in every other profession. But no, I'm, I'm not trashing teachers in general. What I'm pointing out is that you have a situation where you have one adult and 20 to 30 students in a classroom. Who do you think has an opportunity to actually question more with respect to the curriculum or why they're studying it? Do you think it's the three to four kids in a homeschool setting? Or do you think it's the 30 kids in a setting where the teacher has 40 minutes with them before they move on to their next class and they all have to do it within this rigid time frame, not to mention the fact that, okay, let's be honest and let's look at what was the origins of a lot of the way that we organize mass education in this country. It wasn't designed to create independent, free thinking entrepreneurs and problem solvers. It was designed to create really good factory workers and conscripts. So spare me, spare me your critique that, that a, a mass education system that, I, I, mean, I mean, think about it. Like, just as Tina was explaining, you, you show up, you sit in your class, you're with your other people, you learn this particular topic, you have a rigid schedule, you move on to the next class with another group of people. I mean, this sounds like rote memorization yeah. and factory work. It doesn't yeah. sound like...
3: Institutionalized. Yeah, the, you, the, word, not- the word that, that I can use to describe a lot of the uh, mentality that's coming out of our, our school school systems right now is institutionalized they because they have been in an institution from you know four years old on up till they're 18 ish and then they go on to higher education which is again an institutional uh, you know situation you know the idea that there's a lot of free thinking going on there is absurd absolutely absurd and and
0: the thing and the thing too and 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 once again in defense of a lot of our teachers within the public education system a lot of us teachers know it and they don't like it and they're frustrated by it moving on to our next response here's a better idea
1: nick let's make it safe for children to go to school and while we are at it let's teach them actual u.s history and you had gotten in a kind of a back and forth thread on this post with someone else discussing school choice seriously
3: i don't disagree with any of that You know, it's yeah. Let's make them safe. How about you get your Democrat leaders to actually vote yes on things that would make these kids safe? How about that?
0: Uh, I mean, I mean that that is that is part of it. Like by by make our schools safe. First of all, I don't know what you mean by that. I know what I mean by it. When oh, I, I love it. the
4: ha- hashtag that that this person used. Vote blue to save our kids. Yeah, then reform now. We yeah. know what their version of yeah. Well, is. So they're, they're,
0: they're, they're, no, they're, no, no, no. So I'll tell you. I'm I'll tell
4: laughing you. in respect to. um the, the looming Dobbs decision that might be coming down yeah.
0: <laughs> Well, again, uh, Hold on. There's...
3: I will tell you where there is never a school shooting ever.
4: In my house. house at my kids' school. Yeah. Nope. Yeah.
3: No That's school a... shootings. It, you know, so my That's kids are exactly... safe.
4: By the way, there's, I've been quiet most of this episode. There's, there's two things that I wanted to bring up. I wish I could have brought it up in a previous segment. Um, first one, it's no surprise that we got as much hate as we did on Twitter. Um, There was a study done, and I wish that I could pull it up, but I can't. I I remember the number, though, um, that said if Twitter was a congressional district, it would have a partisan lien about the same as, I think it's like California's 37th congressional district, which is like Burbank. (laughs) Um, So that should tell you everything you need to know about Twitter. Um, Second point that I wanted to bring up. um, Tesh, your comment at the very beginning of the show, I wanted to kind of spin that around a little bit. You said that, you know, everybody indoctrinates everybody. I would go so far as to argue that one person's interpretation of indoctrination is another person's interpretation of education. And that it's not that we just want to indoctrinate our kids and they want to indoctrinate ours. It's we think that what the left is doing is a form of indoctrination. And admittedly the left probably thinks that we indoctrinate as well. The difference is is that I would argue that reality has a conservative bias and that <laughs> what conservatives want to teach their children are actual practical skills that will enable them to succeed in life. Whereas the left wants to, from my point of view, indoctrinate people into believing things about race and gender that will make them end up hating their neighbors um, and being very unproductive people. So I I just wanted to add that because that's something that you get the left attacking all the time. I know so many people on the left that usually it'll be for you know, they're, they're very anti-religious or it'll be, they're very anti-gun or, um, or they're very anti-free market, um, or usually all three. Right. But, um, but, but I've, I've seen so many people on the left that, that think that anybody who wants to raise their kid into believing that the free market system works and that you can end up achieving what you want to achieve if you work hard enough. Um, and it's not guaranteed. It, no, Nothing's guaranteed in life. Right. right? But, but, but you know what? Working harder is more likely to produce the results that you want than sitting on your couch all day long. Well, yeah. And and so so like I, I know so many people on the left that, that believe that raising your kids to believe in these certain things and that, you know, a, uh, that moral law exists and that nihilism in the form of what Nietzsche wrote is completely false. Um, and And that if you believe in that sort of stuff, then it's easy for you to do really bad things. I know so many people on the left that believe that that is basically a form of child abuse. But what I find so fascinating is, is that those are the same people that never call out the thing about what happened in Hawaii that we just talked about in our last episode.
0: Well, and, and I think... And, it's because deep down
3: they're cool with it. That's honestly. child abuse. Well, here, here's, no, here's, here's, mean, part, of, here's part of the are,
0: issue. Let's, let's get to this comment. The comment was, why don't we keep our schools safe and why don't we teach actual U.S. history? Okay, again, what is what is effective about that comment is nobody disagrees with that. Yeah. there's nobody out there advocating for unsafe schools it's easy to like there's nobody there's nobody advocating that we don't teach actual US history but what is being betrayed in all this and this is the part that's frustrating as soon as they put hashtag gun reform hashtag mm-hmm. they've just told us what they believe what they believe is is that guns are the problem not not a lack of uh, security in our schools not a uh, a lack of um, you know kids being brought up properly to respect human life that no, no, no. It's just the gun. It's the inanimate object. So her version of making schools safe is to disarm people that have never done anything wrong with a gun, right? Well, that's a pretty, that's a pretty distinct difference. But again, when you, when you act as if, well, this is the solution, that's the problem that so many of us have with a government control of critical thinking and thought with the way that you actually frame debates and arguments, right? I don't want the government to come in with this monolithic approach to, hey, kids, this is how you keep schools safe. You take guns away from people that never did anything wrong. Hey, kids, this is actual U.S. history. Whatever the 1619 Project says is actual U.S. history. Right? That
4: last one I'm more scared about than anything else because well, when the government is put in charge of, of teaching your children history, yep. they're going to get a version of history that is very pro-government. Yeah. Well, Nick, in that Which thread.
2: They have been. I think that's a really key point to make, like, you know, this this person is very upset about actual history being taught in schools. But the Department of Education is in charge of what's being taught in schools. Yeah. So what's her problem with homeschooling when her when her issue is the history curriculum being taught in her public institutions?
3: Yeah, like point
2: the government has been in charge of history.
1: Well, and Nick, there was somebody in the thread that said that they were going to teach their kids about the 1619 Project. And you said go right ahead. Yeah,
0: go for it. That, see, that's – okay, the fundamental difference here that needs to really be when – you, when you look at all these arguments, when you, when you look at all these arguments about should we teach the 1619 Project or should we teach the 1776 Project or should we do a little bit of growth or should we – here's the big difference. It's not a question so much of do you teach this curriculum or that curriculum. It's a question of who gets to decide. Right. right. And and the amazing part is those of us like in the homeschool community, you don't see any of us going out to liberal parents and saying, I'm going to force you by government mandate to homeschool your kids with this curriculum. We don't do that. We we want options because we honestly believe that in a truly in, in, a, in an environment where you can have critical thinking and an environment where you can have choice and options and freedom of thought and freedom of association that the best ideas are most likely to rise to the top. Doesn't mean it always happens. They're the ones in favor of an institutional approach toward, no, 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 we as the experts have decided what the right answer is with respect to race or gender ideology or U.S. history and therefore, and, and the proper way in order to convey these ideas through an educational institution. And therefore, we will impose it on you. And if you don't like it, you're mean, you're ignorant, and you're a bigot. You, they are they. Their whole argument for what they believe, right, provides all the evidence I need to say I don't want it for my children. Sure.
3: Another point I would like to point out is one of the hashtags here is "Vote Blue to Save Our Kids." <laughs> and what's really interesting. I said that earlier, yeah. <laughs> and know, gun it. reform now, but the thing is, is you know they're talking about oh, we're going to keep make kids safe and and this and that. The very same people who push all of this stuff are the very same people that want to defund the police. They're this very same people who um, don't want school resource officers. They don't want any of that. Um, They're letting people out on parole. They're letting people, um, you know, go and reoffend. They're just uh, typically very soft on crime, soft on, on crimes toward children and child molestation and things of that nature. They're really soft on pedophiles. And, and you could just look at the data. It it's amazing to me how they will bend over backwards to get a criminal out, you know, or or to advocate on behalf of murderers, and and then at the same time, at the other side of their mouth, they're like, "We need to disarm these law-abiding people."
0: Well, I, I think, and then when the
3: criminal does whatever the criminal does. They're like, oh, this poor criminal.
0: Yeah, well, I think it's I think it's interesting. The same people that think that chemical castration for a convicted pedophile is inhumane, but chemical castration for a gender confused adolescent is affirming. Right. Sorry. Don't don't lecture to me about trying to save the kids. Right. This next well, co- and
3: not only that, but these are the also the very same people that advocate for aborting millions of babies. So yeah, yeah.
1: All right, this next comment or reply to our initial uh, tweet was probably the most common response that I saw the entire time. It's also the one that I think got the most interaction from those on the left in response to yours. It says, but you guys said during the pandemic that homeschooling was bad for children, that they should be in school. Which is it?
3: Who said so that?
4: Can, yeah. I, can I, sure I say didn't. something yeah, I that is not going to be supported by certainly any Republican office holder, but I'm not a Republican office holder. Um, I remember at the height of the pandemic. Nick
3: looks really worried about whatever <laughs> might come out of your mouth right now. He's like, I'm going to have he to pay can the dis- price for he this. He can
4: disagree with me. He could disagree. I remember a common joke at the height of the pandemic, which was <laughs> keep the schools closed <laughs> because because of everything that was being pushed. Every everything that was being all the indoctrination, and we, I'm not talking about elementary schools. I was talking more about universities. Yeah, um, that these like upper level colleges and stuff like that were just pumping out Marxists, and they weren't doing that during the pandemic. So,
0: um,
3: well, I do love so, the fact that the closing of the schools did expose all of this, and and so it did play a part in exposing all of this. So for the, us. the
0: the argument. So again, this is once again. Is one again once again a misrepresentation of the argument that was being made, and to which I ask, where did you learn how to argue this way? <laughs> right? Because why well, like, went to public school? Because my, my kids and I'm willing to bet Tess can spot the logical fallacy in what's being made. Where it's like, well, you said homeschooling is bad, and kids need to be back in schools. Well, first of all, n- not everyone said it certainly the way that they're implying. Secondly, I don't recall anyone saying homeschool was bad. Yeah,
3: virtual classroom. I think
0: what we, I think what a lot of people were saying was, wait a second. You, you've taken a bunch of parents who didn't choose to homeschool, didn't have another option, and you took away essentially the only option they had and then tried to replace it with virtual learning as opposed to being in the classroom. And then when parents came up with options, like small uh, learning pods and things like that where they could get in-person learning, who, were are the, who, are and the, bigots who are the for people doing that, that came in to try to shut it down? It was right. teachers' unions. So, so this idea that... This idea that we're, we're somehow being contradictory in our line of reasoning is completely inaccurate. Um, it, it's, it's the frustration. And this is another reason why people like me have always advocated for dollars following students instead of a government monopolization of the vast majority of, of public education. If dollars follow students and all of a sudden um, you know, a, being in a classroom with 30 other students is not conducive because you have a pandemic, well, then my, the education for my child doesn't stop. I can immediately find other options in order to meet that demand. But if all of a sudden it's like, this is your only option and now it's gone. Or we're going to replace it with with some, you know, again, the virtual learning component, which was not set up to work effectively in a lot of areas.
3: Yeah, and there were a lot of teachers that weren't even showing up.
0: And that, that was the point that we were making. Is we like we
3: had you... to keep paying for it.
0: Yeah.
4: Right.
3: Our taxes still paid for it.
0: Yeah. And even though the schools were closed. were
4: closed. By the way, that's actually a really interesting point. I don't think she realizes you could literally flip the script on what she wrote. This tweet got over 4,000 likes that yeah. was directed at you. Yeah, You could literally flip the script. I'm old enough to remember that it was Democrat politicians and unions that are overwhelmingly Democrat, at least the leadership level, yeah. that spent that fought tooth and nail to keep every single school shut down. Mm-hmm. I, it was like in Chicago, they were closed until like a year later, mm-hmm. over a year later, I think. They, they fought tooth and nail to keep everything shut down, right? And the moment that the response from parents was, okay, well, if you're going to shut down my public school, then I'm going to take them somewhere else. No, you're not allowed to do that. Yeah. I, I mean come on yeah yeah it's it, like it Literally by, so she's saying that like, oh, well, you know, Republicans were saying, well, during the pandemic that homeschooling is bad for children. First off, we've never said that. Never said that. Second off, you know, that they should be in school. We did say that because we don't think that kids should be not learning at, yeah. at, you know, in the formative years of their life. And we saw the test scores. Yeah. I remember you and I sat down and we looked at the test scores that were given to the House of Delegates in the Senate last year, and yeah. it was atrocious. Yeah. And I know that test scores are not the only thing that, that measures education, but that is one of many things. Yeah. And it is... It is the gall of somebody like this, who, by the way, their their headline includes pro-choice, pro-democracy, yeah. anti-GQP. <laughs> yeah. So clearly a rational thinker, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the gall of this person to say this when using her own logic... It was leftist politicians and teachers unions that shut down the entire educational system in the whole country. Mm-hmm. And the minute that any parent came along and said, I don't think this is a good idea. Maybe I should take my kid out of the school system that is now shut down. They were called a racist. They were called a bigot. They were called yeah. sexist. They were called anti-education. Yep. It goes back to the Bostiak quote, right? The minute that we say that we have a problem with government education, the left goes on and says we have a problem with education at all. Yeah. Um, it it, 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 the,
0: the cognitive dissonance that people like this operate. Oh, but, on. but again, it got 4,000 likes because they, it's superficially pro- because plausible. they're sitting back like, Oh man, what a great clap back. Except that it's, it's inaccurate. Uh, it's not an accurate reflection of the, ar- any of the arguments that were being made. Sure. Um, and, and it completely dismisses the fact that you, you've actually, you've actually done a good job explaining once again, why I don't want you in charge of my child's education because you, you, you're not thinking critically. And clearly the institutions that you went to failed in teaching you how to think critically. So before we close out, I'd like to hear you
1: talk about, give us an update on where school choice is in Virginia. But let's hold that for a couple minutes down the road. I've got three questions here moving into our next section for everyone. The first one is, what's the biggest misconception surrounding homeschooling? What would you say to those who think that they don't have time, the financial stability or the knowledge to homeschool? And then what have y'all found the benefits of homeschooling to be?
0: Well, I mean, Tess, give your perspective on the first one, since you were a homeschool student.
2: Um, I think that a big misconception, uh, at least that I've heard a lot in my lifetime, is that, well, there's the socially awkward thing. And I'll get into that in just a second. But one of the big misconceptions is that it's a privilege. um, And I, I find that absolutely hilarious that it was a privileged experience for me to have. Was I lucky? Yes, but my parents weren't privileged to be able to do this for me. My parents sacrificed so much to be able to educate my siblings and I at home and give us the life that we had. Um, So I think that's like the biggest misconception. Um, But the next one, that socialization, I don't know why it's the one that everyone jumps to, um, but I find it really funny. Um, I'm 21, I graduated, graduated. I didn't graduate, but I mean, I stopped homeschooling, I guess, when I was 16 and uh, went to college. And I, uh, at 17, met a boy, because it is possible to meet boys outside of church and your house when you're homeschooled. Um, I met a boy. We are now engaged. I have a good social life. I have a happy romantic relationship. Like, the socialization factor is just so odd. Why are you so obsessed with a 12-year-old social? I I promise they have one. Like,
3: (laughs) Well, the other thing too is a lot of times, and we see this with middle schoolers and high schoolers, is there is an element of drama Mm -hmm. and heartbreak that these kids go through. And I think it's really minimized. I mean, our daughter Lily constantly, constantly was having to help pick up the pieces of her friend's broken heart, you know, because every five minutes, you know, some relationship didn't work out or some of her friends had decided to oust her from the friend group or whatever it might have been. But, um, you know, a, a lot of it centered around dating relationships and things of that nature. And even if they weren't in love, even if there wasn't any kind of, uh, um, you know, deep feeling toward one another, There is still a fundamental pain in the knowledge that you are no longer the preferred person, that it makes you feel rejected. And I feel like a lot of these kids are actually going through quite a bit of torment Mm -hmm. uh, because they're all kind of learning this emotional thing together at the same time. And Young people sometimes hurt each other and they don't necessarily mean to. And oftentimes there's not somebody there to help walk them through what it is that they're going through.
4: I, I mean, would argue that the blind. there's I'm also, the
3: blind. yeah,
4: there's also, and this is increasingly a problem in our public school system, which is one of the big, I, mean, I would argue it's one of the reasons that Yunkin won in Virginia last year. There is this strain, and we've kind of talked about it today and in other episodes, um, There, there's this underlying uh I don't want to say message underlying feeling that that people have I started feeling it near the very tail end of college and it's I guarantee you it's probably 10 times worse now and certainly worse at the high school or middle school level there's this underlying feeling that that you are somehow guilty of something because of things that you can't control like mm-hmm. your race your gender your skin color that sort of stuff and I mean i I thought we we had gotten rid of those questions in the 20th century, but for some reason they keep popping back up. And um, and <clears throat> I remember I read a story a few days ago about how in California, um, the and, and you know who who talked about this more than anybody else, it was Bill Maher, <laughs> and he mentioned why is it that the number of uh, high school students and and Zoomers or very young millennials, so so people around our age or Tessa's age, um, identify as LGBT in California, something like eight times the number as in Ohio. <laughs> yeah. um, like we know that 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 on average across all, all populations, it's, it's probably around like maybe 1%, 1% to 2% maybe. But in, in some of these other groups, mm-hmm. specifically teenagers, young 20-something year olds, a lot of them in the public school system in very liberal states, California was the example here. That number was like 20-something percent. Yeah. Well, and and and, and a part of the, the the conclusion was is that in order to and i don't know if i fully agree with it but but in order to escape the idea that you're a bad person because of your race or your gender you can escape it by identifying into another category that would give you
0: victimhood status
4: mm-hmm. And that's the it's easiest one for you to jump mm-hmm. into.
3: Intersectionality points.
4: Yes.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, I mean I mean again, when you're when you're involved, and in, so this goes back to that first question, right? What's the biggest misconception about homeschooling? And it has to do with this whole concept of socialization. And and Tina's addressed this before, and I think in a way that's very effective. And it's the whole concept of socialization goes both ways. There's good socialization, there is bad socialization. Um and when when you're when you're putting your kids in an environment where there is a social dynamic Uh, where based off of your gender or your skin color, you may be considered an oppressor or an oppressed class. And the last thing you want to be is an oppressor class, then you have to search for ways to be able to get into one of the classes that is not going to undergo the kind of like scrutiny or animosity that you're experiencing within that social environment. Not to mention the fact that when you look at issues with over-sexualization within our schools and you look at some of the issues that's going on within our schools and, um, you know, again, there's there's a lot of social pressures that are taking place within our public school system at, at increasingly younger ages, that parents are only now just becoming aware of, and it's like, okay, that is also socialization. Do you like that? Is, is that what you meant when you wanted your kid to be socialized within this, within this environment? Now, let, let's go let's go to the um, other end uh, on homeschooling. Do you have homeschool parents that inevitably create socially awkward kids? And y- yes. Usually the parents are socially awkward. <laughs> yeah, if, yeah, but well, if, if, well, if the wait, parents are socially finish awkward, the kid this might thought. be too. Let me finish this thought. Nobody is saying that one particular, this is the only approach. Nobody's saying that. Nobody is saying that this approach always produces perfect results. There is no such approach, period. But if you're going to critique homeschooling because you have an impression of it, that it, it doesn't allow for effective socialization, well, then I get to go back and look at, okay, so what are you doing better in the public schools? Well, well, they interact more. O- okay, is that better? Like, is, is it better to put throw them into an environment where you don't know what that other student is going through at home? You don't know if, if – you, know, you have no idea what's going on. Is that better than an environment where you actually have a little bit more control over it, especially during their younger and more formative years? I, I, when this I seemed, was
2: in high school – my parents gave us the opportunity to go to public school if we were interested. Um, so I was like, Yeah, I'll try it out for a semester. And I did. Um, and the socialization that I got there, um, I regularly interacted with people who wore cat ears and hissed at people walking through the hallways. So I'm not sure that it's homeschooling alone that creates socially awkward individuals.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> no, I, 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 one, and it's, it's also this impression, too, it, it's this older impression that homeschooling is. It's your kids sitting around the dining room table with whatever curriculum you managed to download off the mm-hmm. internet or, or get from your your friend of yours that started homeschooling 20 years ago. That's not it at all. Well, there, sometimes. It can be. I, I mean, it can, yeah, it can be, right? But so much of it is about going out and, and doing events both as a family, sometimes with like homeschool co-ops. Like we, we've, done, we've done all of that. Uh, but going to events and not having to ask permission from the school on whether or not I can take my child, you know, to something – and that can be as diverse as, you know, a livestock show to going up to the Kennedy Senator and, and watching, you know, a, a play. And again, I don't got to get a permission slip from the government to right. do that. I can just do that. Or if there's a unique opportunity that, you know, we've experienced just by the nature of, of you know, one of the things I do, which is being in the general assembly, um, you know, I don't got to ask permission from the school for my kid to come down and actually spend time interning within the general assembly sure. and learning how their government works. Um so, and, and again, when they're in that environment, it's, it's not something where it's like, okay, here's a group of 13 and 14-year-olds, just, just interact. No, you can provide a safe environment where they're actually interacting with people younger than them, older than them, the same age as them. You know a much better reflection of what real life looks yeah. like after you leave the public education system. Because never again will you be in this, in, or, or I should say in very, very few instances, will you ever be in a situation where it's like, okay, everyone, line up according to your age group. And this is how you're going to go through the rest of your life. That just doesn't happen. Yeah. That's a good yeah. point.
2: I joined the workforce when I was 15. I had two jobs. Um, I worked at a designer shoe store and a perfume store in the mall where I lived. Um, and I worked from around 9 a.m. to around 8 p.m. every day um, for a very long time. And the people that I worked with were in their 30s. And I learned so much. Um you know, homeschooling gave me the ability to join the workforce early and learn what I liked about working and learn, um, the pieces of myself that maybe weren't great assets to (laughs) carry into the workforce. Um, there's, I can't stop thinking about the thing that Tina said, that there are never, there's never going to be another time where kids are with their age group alone. That just doesn't happen in the real world.
1: Well, eh Just another interesting point to that, you know, you go through college and Christian can probably speak to this as well. And every single moment of that experience, you are around someone, Mm -hmm. you around classmates, clubs, whatever it might be. And then as soon as you graduate, those people aren't around anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that honestly, that's one of the hardest things for someone who just graduated college to get over because you have that roommate that you you know hung out with all the time, that you confided in, that you studied with, that you grew with, and then you graduate, and those people aren't around anymore, um, and so this you know whole idea that you've got to be around people all the time to grow, I just don't think it's right.
0: No, I agree. What, what were the other two questions? Because we
1: yeah, um, I would love to hear y'all speak about you know fi- financially. Those who think they may not be able to do this, what that experience has been
0: like. Well, I mean, when we when we started homeschooling, I was still in the military. So it's not like we were raking in the dough. I was I was and I was a non commissioned officer. It's not like I was a major or something. It did require You want a five star general?
3: It did require (laughs) one parent to be present. Yeah. And there is an element of sacrifice. I'm not gonna sit here and say that it's all puppy dogs and lollipops and this thing is like the easiest thing in the world and why don't you do it? That's not true. It requires sacrifice, and the the thing is, is that when you when you see what's going on, and, and one of the catalysts that that pushed us to homeschool, I shared the story a long time ago about her kindergarten teacher, um, pushing on the whole voting thing, and uh, back during Obama, and it, it's just the idea that oh my gosh, you know, not only do we not get any time with our kids, you know, we we get, they get off the, they used to get off the bus at like 4.45 in the afternoon and put them on the bus at 7.30 in the morning. By the time I get them home, I'm giving them a snack. They've got to do schoolwork uh, again because apparently they can't get it done in the eight hours that they're at school. Yeah. So they got to send three hours of homeschool, uh, homework home. And then they've got to uh, have dinner. And then maybe we visit a little bit, maybe go to some sports, te- sports events or whatever we've got, you know, scheduled for them. And you get zero time with your kids. And here's the thing. Stuff is great. Lots of stuff, you know, stuff is fun. Stuff can make your life fun, uh, material things. But it really is a point of what do you really need mm-hmm. and, and what can you do without in order to sacrifice and sacrificing isn't fun Yeah, and and there are elements of homeschooling that are really hard but and I'm not going to sit here and sugarcoat it and and yeah. make it you know put on the rose-colored glasses and act like it's the easiest thing in the world because it's not um and and we've had our various times where there was you know some struggles needing a breakthrough with reading or whatever it might have been but the point of the matter is is you know you have to decide for yourself if it's worth it and make the sacrifices that need to be made in order to do that. And I've done that. Um, I, I could have rejoined the workforce and, and brought in paychecks and, um, and I chose not to, I chose to stay home and raise my kids, um, and, uh, homeschool them and, and actually actively homeschool. And it is, it is tough. You're, you're putting your own things on hold. And so that. The whole idea that, oh, you know, this is easy. Yeah, it's easy if you've got a parent to stay at home to do it. So you have to decide with you and you're the other parent, which one of you is more value outside the, you know, in the workforce, which one of you can be home. Can you work from home? Because working from home is a good solution to that. Uh, And I think that society now really lends itself to working from home because of all the connectivity we have nowadays. So... Um, I would say that for us, it was cost prohibitive to send them to private school, but it was out of the question to do public school anymore. We, we had realized that it was just no longer okay. And so we did, we did our best with the homeschooling and I feel like it's working out beautifully. Our kids yeah. are great. Um, and we have really, really strong connections with our kids, and. Good relationships and good dialogue. I mean, we actually spend time together.
0: Yeah, I I, I, want, I want to point. out, I mean, because t- Tina just said it, Tess said it as well. This whole idea that oh, you're you're privileged to be able to homeschool, and and we we have this constant <laughs> there's the, there's this constant narrative in in society nowadays that whenever th- they assign to privilege that which was achieved through hard work and sacrifice, and and that's so frustrating, and and it's and it's actually a horrible outlook on life because you go around believing that everything's just the luck of the draw, roll the dice. Well, I guess those people are really lucky. Or they worked 14 hours a day, right? Or they made a choice that yielded positive results. Here's what I'm going to say about homeschooling from a financial standpoint. Because a lot of people were upset about this, who I think weren't necessarily anti-homeschool, but they're mad right. that they felt like I was saying, "You oh, know, homeschool your kids," as if I don't understand the the problems or the difficulties or the sacrifices yeah. associated with it. There's three categories of people fall into. There's the people that financially, absolutely, no doubt, can do it. They can totally afford to do it, and they don't want to, so they don't, right? There, there's, these are the people that like don't homeschool. There's people that, um, it, it represents a sacrifice. Um, it, it represents giving something up that they don't necessarily want to. And so they make a conscious decision, right? So category one, you can absolutely do it. You don't even got to give anything up really to do it. You just choose not to. The other category is, yeah, it's going to take a little bit of sacrifice, but you can pull it off. Then the third category is people that absolutely financially, they cannot they do can't. it. They cannot do it. They have to have two incomes. They cannot do it. There's an answer for each one of those right now. Now in the first two, again, it's a question of what, what do you, and and again, if if you're providing a a good educational outcome for your kids, I'm not telling you to homeschool, right?
1: We're not telling anybody that we're not telling anyone what you
0: got to do. Um, but if you are unsatisfied with the educational opportunities that you have, and you fall in one of those top two categories, I'm going to say, then, then you've made a choice, right? You've made a choice and, and you didn't, you didn't prioritize the education. I'm sorry. I mean, I don't mean to be offensive, but I don't get it. Logically, I don't see how you get around that. The third category the people that genuinely are in a situation where they, they can't, they want, they would love to be able to do this and they can't do it. This is one of the reasons why we fight so hard for dollars following students, is because in, in Virginia, there's $10,000 between state, local, and federal dollars, on average in Virginia, $10,000 per year allocated to the education of your child. Now we can allocate that money of number of ways. Right now, what we do is we take it and we give it to a local school division and a school board comes up with a budget and a board of supervisors approves it. And then that's it. And that's how the money's allocated. And if they decided the most important thing that day was a, was a new football stadium. That's what you get. And if they decided it was something else, that's what you get. Or we can put the money in the hands of the people that are actually for, for what the educational system was supposed to be built for in the first place, which is the student And then if you decide I want this option or I want that option, or I want something that's going to work better with our, now you can actually have educational opportunities for your children that you could never be afforded to It is not because the money isn't there. It's because politicians want to be in control of how it's spent Mm -hmm. and they sure as hell don't want you to have it. So again, if you're frustrated with the way that, that tweet came off, I understand It certainly wasn't meant to be an insult or to negate the difficulties associated with making this decision. But if you really want to direct your ire somewhere. I, I can show you some really good, I can show you some very, very deserving politicians because they're the ones that are essentially, it's not that the funding isn't there. They don't want you to have access to it with respect to how it's spent at the end because of, that would solve this issue for a lot of families that want the option. Absolutely.
3: At,
1: at the end of the day, we are telling no one how to choose to educate their kids, but we are advocating as much as we can for them to have the ability to have no. multiple choices to how they choose to
0: execute that. Yes. Th- that and I'll, because I'll, I think there was one other question on there along these lines, and that has to do with, and this has to do with the resource question. 20, 25, 30 years ago, you were homeschooling your kids. Man, that was a limited environment with very limited options. That is not the case today. The amount of, the amount of access to resources. Free is, resources. Free resources is overwhelming. The amount of people that are willing to come alongside and support and right. encourage you overwhelming, Um, you know, using things like Khan Academy, right? Again, we're not talking about, you know, a Christian curriculum or something like that. But there, there are there are curriculums out there that can be used now. Again, I we liked Christian curriculum for a lot of the things that we were doing. There are
3: huge curriculum swaps. Yeah, you know where your kid's already done going through whatever program. Uh, one of the programs I absolutely loved for our kids was Matthew C, mm-hmm. because it started them off with a lot of uh, tangible ways to see math at work, um, and it really heavily emphasized the decimal system. Um, and You know, a lot of these books, they can be very expensive and a lot of the manipulatives that you use, the blocks and things like that can be very expensive. But you go to uh, some of these homeschool conventions or these curriculum swaps and you can trade for them or you can get them much cheaper. I mean, you've got some parents that it's gone through all of their kids and now they just want to make sure that it gets used again and and they're, you know, well-made tools to use. It's great. You also, you don't have to use curriculum. I mean, if
2: you can read and you have an internet connection, you have the ability to educate your children. Um, I have six siblings, and for, I think, four of us, um, out of the seven, my mom didn't use curriculum at all. Um, Worksheets and tests and stuff like that, it just wasn't for us. I'm one of them. Um, And our education looked a lot different than some of my siblings. Um, It doesn't mean that I can't read or do math, (laughs) but... You know, it's very, it's customizable. Like if you have an internet
3: connection, you can educate your kids. Oh, there what is if, so much free knowledge uh, and out I there. Think,
0: I think that's another big misconception yeah. is the idea that when people start homeschool, they, what they do is they look at what the public school is doing and they're like, I have no idea how to replicate that at home. Don't, yes. <laughs> don't mm-hmm. rebel. The That's reason why, why you
2: pulled them out. Right.
0: The reason why it's set up a certain way within the school system is because you got one teacher trying to manage 30 students at a variety of different um, educational levels, understanding levels, cognitive levels. Right. You, you don't have to do that, which means. Your child is either not waiting around for some other kid to catch up to something, or you can focus more on the issue that your child genuinely needs help with, as opposed to a bunch of other things that they don't need help with. Your your student is allowed to go as far and as fast as they possibly can on the things that they're good at and understand and get the directed help that they need on the subjects that they don't. And when one curriculum isn't working, you switch it out for another one. Again, I don't got to lobby my school board to say that math book is not working for my oldest daughter, Mm -hmm. but this one does. So I'm using that one.
3: Absolutely. <laughs> we, we had an issue with Lily where, yeah. uh, we, we struggled with the multiplication tables and we didn't realize that she struggled with it until we were all the way to, uh, division. So I went back, started her in Matthew C a different curriculum because a lot of people love, you know, a Becca or they love, yeah. you know, some of these other ones. Um, it wasn't for us. Matthew C was the one that worked for her because she could feel it. She could see it. She could manipulate it. Yeah, And, um, it was interesting because we basically made it through a, basically relearned all of her multiplication tables um, in half a year and then caught all the way back up to where she was right, where she needed to be again. And you can't change curriculum on the fly um, in any other scenario like that. Um, when you recognize there's an issue, don't be afraid to abandon that cu- curriculum. Yeah. Get rid of it. It's not working for your kid. And if it's causing tears and it's, it's too difficult – Get something that works for their learning style. And and that's one of the other misconceptions that I will point out is that um, people think they need to replicate the classroom. They think that, OK, my my kid goes to school for eight hours of the day. That means I need to be educating them for eight hours of the day. That is not true. That is 100 percent not true from Elementary school all the way up through junior high, you can get all of your schooling done in about three hours. Yeah. Wow. Three hours. And you've gotten more done than they get done over at school. We actually get through entire textbooks. Can you imagine that? I remember being in junior high. <laughs> that
1: never,
0: high- happened. That never exactly. happened to me. I remember
3: junior high and high school, and we'd be lucky if we got two-thirds of the way through.
0: Yeah, Your kids also learn. I mean, what you really want to instill in your kids at a very young age is an actual love for learning. And that can be very, very difficult to do. In, in an institution where it's okay, move here. Now do this. Now do this. And I move here. And I do this. And I move here. Nope. No time for questions. We got We got to schedule. No right. room for diversity. When, when you're when you're in an when you're in an environment where you can get through a lot of the basic stuff, you need to look. They need to know how to read. They need to know how to write. They need to know how to do math. They need to mm-hmm. understand basic critical thinking and scientific method and things like this. And you can you can get through that relatively quickly because you're not trying to manage again thirty students at various different levels dealing with a, a variety of social issues you have no control over. Yeah. But. That also doesn't mean the learning stops when the textbook closes, you know. When, when you know our kids want—I mean, my son loved to put things together, loved to f- like fabricate, and and um, we ended up getting a three D printer. I didn't—we didn't have to do a special yeah. class on three D printing. He learned how to do it because he loves it and he enjoys it, and he sees, you know, the the, the ability to you know, learn more and go even further. We saw one of the classes that was offered through a homeschool fair that we went to was, Hey, do you want to get an introductory to blacksmithing? Yeah. Why? Because it's cool. It was fun. He enjoyed it. Not only that, but it also exposed him to other things like with welding. Um, Same thing with my, with my daughters where, various skill sets they want. Like my, my daughter likes to raise animals. She also likes to like make earrings and sell them at a local shop that we have here in town. And she's learning about those entrepreneurial skills. And my, my kids learn about things like assets and liabilities. Is this something that you just have because it's fun, but it costs you money? Or is this something that you can actually use to be productive, right? There, there's all these different educational and learning opportunities that, that are are not conveyed through, okay, sit down, turn to page 42. It, no, it, yeah. it's a natural process of engaging and in interaction and understanding how the world works and properly interacting with it. Can I
3: address, I'm sorry, can I address one more thing? Yeah. Um, oftentimes I am, I, I have people that will say, my kid won't learn from me. I can't teach my kid because I. they won't learn anything from me. I don't know why, you know. Uh. And some of it is, you know, if you're in a situation where your kid has been in public school, you are not the teaching authority in their life. You don't have that you don't have that place in their mind as their first and foremost teacher. And some of that has been taught to them at the public school you yeah. sent them to. Yeah. And so you're being undermined and that's how you know you're being undermined is when your kid will not learn from you.
0: When, when you see video, when you see video of a teacher in the classroom talking about how most of your parents are idiots. Right. And when you see some of those teachers going online on Twitter and responding to this going like, well, oh, the parents are going to do what I do. I've got a master's degree.
1: Right. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I want to say one thing. The years where I have obtained the most joy from gaining a skill set, improving a skill set have come after my schooling years, after high school, after college. And at no point during those schooling years did I receive the same satisfaction for getting an A on a test or a paper that I did building a skill set which would help me serve another individual, serve a purpose or a mission like for this team, whether that be in video, graphic design, social media management, whatever it is. And that entire time, this is probably just me, through middle school, high school, college, I was just waiting for that point yeah, yeah. to where to have yeah, all maybe. of the BS of yeah. school behind me yeah. so that I could just dive in 100% into what that skill set was, what I found the most passion in. But here's the interesting part. Tess and all three of your kids have been involved in that growth for a long time mm-hmm. and got years... Bef- you know on that ball years before the average individual before us Tess is <laughs> Tess is 21 years old and is managing social accounts that if combined would probably add up somewhere between one and two million people two million followers and she got to be building that skill set for since she was what 16 or 17. I didn't get to start building that skill set until I was a junior in college. Until yeah. I was like 22.
0: Well, and, I, and I, think you, I think one of the things you mentioned there that is really important is, um, it, it is it is an entirely different feeling when you are rewarded for the quality of your work based off of the value that it brings, mm-hmm. either to another person or within the marketplace or whatnot, whether it's getting that first paycheck or whether it's um, seeing the result of what you've done because of the practical benefit it brought, not simply because an authority figure said, right. A, <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and again, I'm, I'm not saying that there, there's something in, you know, inherently wrong with all that either. But ultimately what this is supposed to be, what education is supposed to be about is the transfer of useful knowledge from one generation to the next so that they too can effectively right. navigate through this world, through the marketplace, find out what they love, they're passionate about it. And, and then being able to do an, and execute it, not just for their benefit, mm-hmm. but for the benefit of their family and everyone else they're engaging with.
1: And I'd like to clarify real quick. My parents did offer me the opportunity to try a lot of different things related to business while I was growing up. But the benefit that you all had was that you were able to pair the education and that practical skill set together. It was a part of the curriculum, not in right. spite of it. Right. Yeah. All right. Is there any argument you want to make for us? Well,
0: look, I'll just say first of all, I want to really thank Tess for, for coming on board because while Tina and I have homeschooled, we weren't homeschooled, so it's it's always it's always great to get the per perspective of someone that went through that process and went through it through most of their, um, you know their their early education. Um, again, the the thing I, I would just break this down for people, kind of some of the topics that we talked about here. First of all, m- most people. You know, again, you fall into one of those categories, either you can homeschool, you can financially afford to homeschool and, and you're choosing not to. I'm not saying you got to, but I, I would say you need to be looking at what your kid is being taught within the institution that they're being sent to. And if it is not corresponding with, with your goals, objectives for your child's life, because I guarantee you, you love them more than whatever institution they're going to. And if it's not achieving those objectives, you need to look for alternatives. You just need to, especially now with what we see going on within our public school system. And that's not a ding on every public school teacher or principal or whatnot. But I'm sorry, it is a fact now that has been established multiple times that there are a number of things going on in your public school that you probably don't approve of and are probably not conducive to your child's education or, or mental or emotional well-being. The other thing I want to tell you is we are trying to find more options to be able to take the funding that is already available and instead of just sending it to more bureaucrats to shuffle around based off of their priorities, we're trying to get it into the hands of parents so that they can prioritize it appropriately. But, but ultimately, never forget this. If you learn nothing else from everything that we've just watched, don't let anybody convince you that, A, you are not the most important person in your child's educational development. You are. And that cannot be delegated to somebody else because every time it is delegated to something else, bad things often happen. All right, you, you still need to be that person that is the most concerned about their educational, emotional well-being. Doesn't mean that you can't learn from other people. Doesn't mean that you can't learn from other people that have specialized in and, and access that wealth and knowledge. But don't let anybody intimidate you, mock you, or make you feel small. And let that be the thing that robs you of the ability to be able to play that role within your child's life. Embrace that and be defensive of it. Because is as difficult as it can be, as much sacrifice is is experienced in doing that and making that decision, the rewards are exponential. Not just with respect and the opportunities that you can provide to your children, but with the relationship that you build with your children, your trust that you build with the children. So I I would just encourage you, there are resources out there. It, It is a Google search away. Or DuckDuckGo. I'm mad at Google right now. <laughs> it, is a, it is a searcher way to find those resources. And I would just encourage you to, to look for that. So, again, thank you for sticking. Out. Leave us some more comments if you have questions. This is a great episode to ask us questions on because you got people here um, that would be happy to answer yeah. them and happy to point you in the direction. I think we'll all be looking at the
1: comments section after yeah. this.
0: All right. Thank you. Well, again, thank you very much for joining us. And we'll see you next episode.